Welcome to the Six Figure Practice Podcast. I'm Sasha Raskin, and I'm the founder of the Six Figure Practice, which is a private practice accelerator program, a business school for helpers just like you, and a community for helpers such as counselors and coaches who are building their private practice. I'm a counselor and a coach, and my mission is to help helpers thrive while changing their clients' lives for the better. If you're looking for inspiring stories of helpers who build a successful private practice already, if you'd like to discover how to create your own perfect clients, if you're wondering what are the marketing strategies you need to be using, and most importantly, how to combine helping others and thriving yourself, you will find all of this and more in this podcast together with many free resources on our website at thesixfigurepractice.com T-H-E, the number six, figurepractice.com And if you'd like to brainstorm together how to grow your private practice on your own or by joining our accelerator program, simply sign up for a free consultation call on our website. Hi, Kerry. Hi, Sasha. Uh, for anyone who's joining us, this is the Six Figure Practice podcast and uh, YouTube. Uh, what we'll be talking about today is um, the roadmap to a private practice where um, you get to serve your clients and also thrive yourself. No shame about that one. And uh, Kerry, a good way to start would be you sharing who you are, who you help, um, and yeah, what do you focus on in your private practice? Sure. So I'm Carrie Moore, and I'm the founder of A Good Place Therapy and Consulting. We're located in Lower Manhattan, and I started out my practice about five and a half years ago, and we grew to a group practice four years ago, and um, we've been happily operating as a group and growing as a group to continue to try to meet the needs of the people who come to us for therapy. Um, and we do, uh, we started off doing primarily CBT and I was, uh, you know, really trained as a CBT therapist and really enjoyed um, doing CBT and ERP early on. Um, however, we kind of grew to really take on more clinicians with, um, you know, diverse backgrounds and other specialties. And so now uh, we really like to be able to to accommodate people with whatever they come with a modality that they might be seeking out and be interested in um, or whatever might be a good fit for what they present. So uh, we have a range of CBT and ERP therapists as well as therapists who really um, enjoy you know working like more psychodynamic um we don't have any analysts on the team even though that really is kind of a big thing still in new york um but we do have people who are are you know really like the um, ackerman relational model which i also myself trained in uh last year and um and you know people who are more eclectic in their approach and uh who who you know to take on a, a variety of different uh, types of trainings to you know complement their style that's wonderful so a lot of needs can uh, be met uh in your group practice by uh sounds like there's a big diver diversity 
Yeah, I think that um, when when I started off the group practice, I really was thinking more about CBT and thought that would be easy, probably easier for from a marketing perspective. Um, and because referrals that um, are coming in are specifically for, um, you know, from other CBT clinicians or for clinicians who are looking um, specifically for, you know, CBT. Um, and, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, so I started out that way and then trained um, therapists and really made sure I felt comfortable in who was going to be taking on those cases, but it was um, easy, you know, over time to grow and to take clinicians who had other specialties and, and we found, you know, just creative ways to really, you know, highlight that. If you rewind back to right before you started your solo private practice, uh, mm -hmm. what were some of the pros and cons you were thinking about? Well, I think, so I left a career in nonprofit management. Uh-huh. And, you know, as on, you know, my it's, kind of just progressively moving forward and taking on, um, you know, kind of leadership positions without really thinking too much about the direction I was going in because isn't it always better just to aim higher and higher? It's the next then, step, um, right? It's the, uh, <laughs> the next step. And, uh, uh, but I, I really quickly found out that that wasn't the case and I was not happier, you know, the higher I went. And in fact, I was like really not feeling I was you know, working and living in alignment with my values or my passions or what I really wanted to be doing. And um, what I found was that I was more interested in doing one-on-one um, -on -one clinical work when, you know, my job, most of my you know, career has been supervising clinicians and overseeing clinical teams as a part of um, program level leadership. And, you know, I found just doing the one-on-one -on -one work myself was much more fulfilling, you know, at the end of the day. So it was, you know, almost a, like a reverse journey from like what a lot, you know, a lot of people have where they might start out working one-on-one -on -one and then start climbing into leadership. I kind of went the other way around and um, haven't really looked back because I just am so much, you know, happier and, you know, fulfilled and in, in doing the clinical work. I think um, I didn't give myself permission earlier in my career to do it. And maybe because it was, you know, hard to afford a lifestyle in the cities that I've lived in and between New York and San Francisco to really do the one-on-one -on -one work. But, um, you know, private practice is a way where you can, um, you know, really if you dedicate the time to kind of build your practice and grow and, you know, make the right moves and you can really um, have a, you know, you can afford your lifestyle. You can, you know, really um, expect to, to do well. So I'm, I'm happy that um, I've been able to, you know, make that, that work for myself, uh, you know, professionally and personally. Yeah. So it's, uh, the focus was really what makes me uh, feel most alive and just fo follow that passion, right? Versus mm -hmm. uh, the escalator of what's the next best uh, position for me. Uh, Right, mm -hmm. right. And it really wasn't wasn't working out <laughs> that way at all for me. Um, and I think it partly because it was no longer in alignment with my values and what I wanted. So, um, I, you know, I, I just kind of intuitively followed that to allow myself uh, to consider going into private practice and leaving that career. And I think I, you know, I struggled with some feelings of, I think, guilt. And I think, um, you know, did it make the wrong decision and some doubt really early on. Um, but, uh, you know, in the end, I was, 
I was, uh, you know, I was focused enough and I was um, excited enough about that new path that I stayed on it. And, you know, I'm really glad I stuck with it. That's wonderful. How were your first few months in private practice after making that decision? Well, my first few months, I, I thought um, it was a little, it was scary. <laughs> you know, I just... I'm not going to lie. I think it's totally easier is. for other people than it, than it was for me. Um, but it was, it felt scary because I, you know, I wasn't sure if that was going to be the path and I was going to be able to be successful and to be able to do that full time without having to go, um, you know, back and take another job or supplement my income in some way. But uh, so, and it was also just a lot of, a lot of work. I mean, I just remember working really long days and in the beginning it wasn't, um, the clinical hours because the work was to build the practice to be able to, you know, attract the clients and to, you know, to get the referrals. So I could feel like I was a real therapist and not just selling myself as a therapist. Um, so that, that was a struggle. I remember uh, having to learn everything at once and how difficult that was like to, you know, learning all the systems that had to be put into place to feel like I had to, you know, be, be a graphic designer and, um, and a really good blog writer and expert at the social media and um, attending every uh, networking happy hour and uh, asking for, you know, introductions and uh, figuring out what, what um, you know, groups I you know, needed to belong to. And it was just a lot. It was like immersing myself, like just really kind of deep diving into the private practice world. And I needed to build my community and I needed to learn um, all the, 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 you know, nuts and bolts of running a business and, um, and, you know, develop the, uh, the skills to be able to, you know, sustain, to, you know, sustain and grow the business. So I think I, I didn't realize before I actually got in it, how much work that was going to be and, you know, and how hard that was. So I think, um, in, in the beginning, it was just a lot, a lot of work and, um, and just embracing all the uncertainty is a part of that. I think this is so important for other people to hear. If someone is listening that, uh, and maybe they're just started or thinking about starting a private practice. And yes, the ratio of business work to clinical work would definitely be like uh, maybe 90, 90% business and 10% uh, of clinical work, right? And I don't know mm -hmm. if you had experienced that, at least for me and the uh, counselors and coaches that I coach in building their practice, it gradually shifts, right? You start doing mm -hmm. less business work, less marketing work, and you do more clinical work, right? So you reap off uh, the benefits that those seeds that you plant at the beginning, right? But there's kind of mm -hmm. like no way around mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. And I think to, you know, to set, you know, the expectations accordingly that, you know, that you're, you're just laying the foundation and you're spending time just doing what you need to do so that you can um, have the space to take on the clients mm -hmm. when the clients start coming. So, you know, I, I was part of, you know, what helped me feel confident was that I did have some income doing some uh, moonlighting work that I did on the side of my nonprofit management work um, with a telehealth company called ableto.com. And so I did have, you know, a caseload of clients and some income coming in where I could do that while also growing my practice. And I think that was also really helpful. I think 
if I just, you know, quit the job and just said, I'm going to go start my private practice, um, that would require a lot more, uh, just budgeting and, um, and patience and, uh, yeah, then, then, uh, you know, what I was able to do when I had like, just, you know, a little income on the side as I built the practice it uh reminds me this book big magic well it's written for writers uh but the idea that uh you don't have to you know when you say uh follow my passion right uh, you don't have mm -hmm. to quit everything it's okay to have your feet on the ground while head in the clouds right uh it's okay right. to have your uh cash project while you build your passion project until the revenue there grows and you can quit the cash project, right? Because you already built mm -hmm. that one. Can you share about uh, how how did the, your week look like while you needed to work, right, at your uh, mm -hmm. existing job and you were doing all those things to build your private practice? How did you manage to do all of it? Well, I well I worked with a coach in the beginning with uh, Amy Blaustein, who was extremely helpful because I met with her for once a week and then she was my accountability buddy. So I highly recommend having some some accountability um, kind of built into your, your process as you begin. Um, and so with that, we would um, do things like, right, this date, like I had this uh, reminder in my calendar, for example, it was like this date would be great if these three things were accomplished. And then I would put that in my calendar, um, schedule it for every day. So then I would know what those things were and then have kind of a demonstrated thing to feel good about. Like I ticked those things off, you know, off the list and I feel like I got things done, even though there's, this feels so overwhelming and it's so big what I have to do. So I think, um, just making sure to, to have, you know, clarity, like what is it that you want to accomplish each day? What is it that you want to accomplish each week? Um, you know, having, you know, clear timeline and, and goals. Yeah, so you didn't reinvent the wheel, right? You didn't uh, do uh, just trial and error or try and see. And you actually used what is really working in therapy and coaching, which is change happens in the relationship, right? Uh, yeah, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When, when I have... Yeah. Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go ahead. Well, when I have someone else to be accountable to right when i have someone mm -hmm. to brainstorm with when i have some guidance from other people right when i can have uh structured conversations about what i'm uh doing right i can even change my own behaviors right in doing that when you know it it does require some effort so the uh well i'm mm -hmm. talking to a cbt person right you, you kind of need to restructure some of those beliefs about what you can and can do right what you should and shouldn't be doing etc right what were you about to say <laughs> I, I don't i just lost my train of that well actually it was that um you said you're not just like trial and error the whole time and you have a plan which, you know, I really did. And partly it was some trial and error because I, you know, consider myself pretty intuitive. So I, I liked to, I liked the process of kind of following um, just the path to see what works, like what is sticking and then can I be safe and go with that. So one of the things was that um, because I wasn't, you know, quite ready to give up the parts of my work that I loved in nonprofit leadership, I built, um, part of the practice to be this consulting arm and to do organizational consulting. 
And in the beginning, there were several projects and I had these irons in the fire and I was putting together proposals and had lots of conversations with, with the different people. And then very few of them actually, you know, followed through where it just stuck or became something. And then the ones that did, it was so short term and like kind of fewer and far between that it just didn't feel sustainable for the business. It would feel like I would always be chasing the consulting business. And then when the clients started coming, the therapy clients, it felt like this is easy. This is good. And, oh, and I really love this. You know, this is why I also started the practice and what I'm really happy to, to do right now. And so I really had to, it's almost like um, give up this part of myself in a way that I thought was going to really become such a big part of the practice, or I, I didn't know, I was kind of hoping it would be um, to really follow my heart and just do the therapy. Now that over time, I think I was able to then embrace those other um, things that I loved about nonprofit work when I started to grow the practice into a group practice. So now um, running the group practice and seeing my clients is kind of like the best of both of those worlds. Mm. It wasn't, it wasn't going to be like the consulting in the individual, you know, clients I was seeing, but it was going to be running the group practice and being able to, um, you know, really to have, you know, a community of therapists where we offer mutual support to each other and I get to play a role in, you know, supervising clinicians and seeing them grow, grow and helping them um, pursue their um, interests and what they, they love in the practice and in the community outside of their work with their clients and also kind of grow, grow their cl clinical skills and their specialties. And I really get a lot of, um, you know, fulfillment and satisfaction out of, out of that too. Yeah, I love that. So you're saying my private practice doesn't need to be fixed, right? I can experiment. I can work with different projects. I, I can let go of what is not needed and grow into something different as well. I think that's where a lot of right. counselors get stuck. I see it like uh, really, really vividly when they build their websites, right? And uh, choose their services. And there's like the sphere of almost a grief. Uh, grief right okay i need to choose something a population to work with or two or three right uh, but i cannot do it all and uh you're saying well it's okay to uh pivot right it's okay mm -hmm. to add and it's okay to remove right i i just i think a few months ago i removed individual therapy from my website and that's been a big relief. I still see the individual therapy clients that I have right now, and that's great. But uh, I want to focus more on couples therapy right now at this part of my counseling private practice. And mm -hmm. it's great. And it's as easy as, you know, uh, hiding that uh, page from my website. Done. Mm -hmm. And I can always yes, bring it go. back. Done. Yes, good. I, I love that, that approach and that idea too. And also that I'm talking with you and learning about your passions and interests because we're always looking for therapists um, in other cities. We we have a lot of particular um, needs for Los Angeles and San Francisco, which we're going to be opening an office in soon. In um, Austin, Texas, really randomly is like a big city that a lot of people are, are moving to, or people's brothers, family members, like friends, and they're looking for therapists. But it's good to know um, know of you and your practice and in Colorado and also like that you do 
um, couples and family work, which the family part is also so so rare and so needed. Yeah, oh, I just love that. Uh, what I told you before we started recording that family therapy session I had. Uh, it's mm-hmm. it's wonderful and uh, it's it's a lot of fun. There, there's a lot of action, right? A lot to track and. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that part. Can you say more about the decision to switch from solo practice to uh, group practice? When did you make that decision? Why? And, uh, you know, a, a, a lot of people, they they kind of grow to this uh, uh, ceiling of, okay, I can grow that so far with one-on-one and trading my my services for money and my time and I either keep on going that way or maybe I change or add something uh, to keep on going. So how was that decision making Mm -hmm. process for you? Well, I think for me, I think what encouraged me to do it was feeling a little lonely in private practice and being a, you know, pretty social and outgoing person and really, loving um, the team, you know, elements of the nonprofit work in my past. And so, and loved like being a part of a team and working with a team and motivating a team. And so I think um, it felt like a natural fit to move into that direction. I, I hadn't considered it until, until there's like, it's going to sound really hippy dippy, but I had um, a dream. <laughs> this is not me at all, by the way, but this, this really happened. So I had this dream that, um, that I had a group practice and I woke up and I thought that was, that felt really good um, to envision that for my practice. And then I opened up my inbox and it was um, a therapist who was looking for a job. No way. In a Same practice. day. <laughs> yeah. oh, that's great. And I was like hesitating to say that because it sounds so corny and it sounds so like woo woo, but it's true. It really happened. So then I thought it was kismet. And then um, I had, several conversations with this young woman and she's wonderful, uh, but I never ended up hiring her. And then the following week, Heather on my team, who was a coworker of mine from a former organization had, um, had reached out to me and said, would you consider hiring me? And so then I said, of course, it's such an easy way um, to start. I would love to work with you and, you know, bring you on board. But a couple months prior, um, I had just been doing some coaching with Heather because she was considering starting her own private practice, but um, she, you know, decided against that and just decided, I think I'd rather just see clients and private practice and not, um, you know, worry about starting my own at this point in my career and in my life. And she has, you know, two young kids at home too, in a full-time job. So, um, so then that was, it, it just seemed really easy. Like I almost didn't plan it or think about it, just move forward with um, putting the pieces in place to hire Heather and to, you know, get started with getting her referrals. And, um, you know, she was working and still is working with us um, with individuals and with couples. So it started off that way. And then, and then I wanted to, I wanted to do family and children work as well in the practice. Um, So I approached um, another former, you know, colleague of mine from another organization, Michael Mantel, and asked him, well, would you ever consider working in, you know, private practice? And he also was interested. And so he was the next hire and it felt, um, you know, really safe and really good to, you know, be building the team with people who I already really knew their clinical skills and um, I knew who they were as people and how we work together and um, an easier way to get started. So, so that's, that's kind of, yeah. 
just the two of them were the very the very first so it was very organic for you i think that mm -hmm. that's being missed you know when uh uh counselors think about well maybe um uh, i can have a group practice right and they look at other people's uh, group practices and it looks also uh clean organized and structured right but you'll think well it happened one step at a time. It started with a dream. I love that story, mm -hmm. by the way. <laughs> it literally started with a dream. Uh -huh. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then I think it was a natural fit. And then when I started doing it, I was like, yeah, this is what it, this is what I should be doing. Cause this feels really good to me. And it, it feels like some things came, I don't think it just came easier, but I, you know, cause I learned a lot from my career in managing teams and, managing people and growing clinical programs. And so some of those things, um, you know, I, I learned the hard way in that too, but I, t you know, I really took those lessons and I learned what I needed to learn from some of them. And then, um, you know, built the confidence to be able to, to, you know, have my own, my own group, my own business. How much complexity did it add to your life? Um, uh, the bureaucracy, the bureaucracy, the legal side of hiring someone, uh, you know, kind of managing, I assume, more logistics and the managerial part of that. Right. I think, I think um, I, it did require me to reduce my own caseload. And, and it, that has actually been the case uh, throughout the last four years. It's just knowing when I, I do need to do that, knowing when I can, um, you know, scale up and be okay and when I need to really be um, okay with not, you know, closing off my schedule, not taking on new clients, um, so that I can really focus on the business aspect of things. And it's also about knowing and being okay with what you're good at and what you enjoy doing. And just to be able to outsource the things that you, you don't love or that other people are much better at. And I think just being honest with yourself about what those things are, you know, for, for me, um, that's my billing and my reception. You know, I have a, a contract um, company that I work with and they're amazing and they, they really, their company ethos is like the same as our ethos. And so they really represent us well at the front door and on the billing side when, um, you know, clients have billing questions or things come up and, you know, they're really amazing and very confident in their work and, you know, they fit well with us and with our culture. And so, you know, that works great. So, yeah, I think it, it's about being honest with yourself outsourcing, you know, when you need to being able to making sure that you have the capacity to build the business and to focus on the business when you need to focus on it. Um, and, you know, and, you know, other than that, there's so there was a little uh, barking, uh, which is the, uh, the nature of technology and a human connection. Uh, via <laughs> electronic devices. Okay, yeah, I just moved into the bedroom. Yeah. I actually like that part, uh, you know, especially in my uh, coaching and uh, counseling sessions. It's uh, it's nice. It's kind of like uh, doing a house visit, I guess, like from the totally. convenience of my home, right? It's like now more than ever, right? This past year doing telehealth and mm -hmm. all the Zoom visits yeah. from our homes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly right. So what would be your tip 
for someone uh, who feel their private practice, they're thinking about going, going into group practice, what could make this process as smooth and simple and easy for them as possible? Maybe, you know, from your experience, which uh, mistakes not to make, right? And what to f mm -hmm. focus on? Yeah, I think, I think starting with making sure to have your support, you know, hiring a coach is a good start. Um, or, you know, I think there's like, you know, organizations like yours that companies like yours that do the consulting. Um, that's a really good first step. So you have the accountability buddy and you just have, you know, the resources in that. And I think, um, you know, don't be shy to scale slowly, you know, just to take your time to, to build um, the business and to be patient with it. So if that means that, that you plan um, to not leave your, your job until like six months or a year and you're going to start to put those things in place, I think that's fine. Or, um, you know, you know, to be part-time somewhere while you scale up, I think that's also another really good approach so you could just take the pressure off yourself. And I also think in what um, I've been recommending people just to consider is to get on just one insurance panel, you know, if they're, they're planning to be um, cash or private pay or just out of network and they're scaling really slowly, that if they go on just one insurance panel and they maintain a good schedule and kind of good boundaries to leave room open to also take private pay, um, that they can, you know, fill their caseload, they can feel fulfilled with the work that they're doing with clients, and then they can kind of build up their client um, list and, you know, get referrals through other clients and, um, you know, start to take the time to get known in the in the community to build up that that referral base. And so I do, um, I myself did that, I got an insurance panel after about seven months, or no, actually it was July, I think it was January, so um, after starting in July. And I had about seven private pay clients, which what if that was, you know, I don't know, 15 <laughs> by the end of the year, it still was not gonna be enough. So when I got on one insurance panel, I, I just felt so excited to be doing the private practice work and seeing clients. And I just had to be disciplined to make sure that there was like enough room open and I wasn't just filling all the slots with the insurance panel, which in New York, you know, doesn't pay, which is really ironic because New York is probably the most expensive place to live in the whole country. And it's, it just doesn't. So, um, that I, you know, I've been advising just do that. And if you could just kind of have a, a few slots or just not let it dominate your schedule, then it's a good, a really good way to, to grow. I mean, you also have to be willing, you know, to just know that you're going to be making less money than if you had all availability for the private pay clients, depending of course on what your fee is that you set. But, um, my, my second year, I want to say my first full year in private practice, I made about 10% less than I was making in my uh, vice president role, the organization that I left. And I had to look at that and say, wow, but you know, this next year is when it's really going to scale. And it did. <laughs> so, you know, you, you just have to be patient. You have to be willing to um, make some sacrifices. And that part of that might be making, you know, a little less money than you were making at the job that you left, you know, when you get started. And counselors are not strangers to that, right? The sunk cost of studying in a master's program for three years and not, you know, not being able to create a full-time income during that time is, uh, yeah, why not invest that time, continue and build your practice and take that, well, in a way, pay cut at the, at the forefront. 
and reap the benefits later. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Looking back, would you do anything differently? Uh, either in your solo practice or in your group practice or in the transition between those two stages? That's a good question. I think, gosh, I'm really glad to say that I I think um, when I said, when I said, like, keep a good boundary if you do get an insurance panel. I think I struggled with that because I just wanted to to see everybody who came in the door. That's a big one. All the slots and, and then give them, you know, the time slots that they want to have, <laughs> that they want to have. So I think I was like, this is such a rookie mistake. But I, I'm, I'm sure I was like working till like 9 p.m. most nights of the week. Sometimes it would be like, and I still do this like really long days, like one day a week. But I think there were several days where I was working like eight to eight or eight to nine, even where I was like scheduling clients when they wanted to be scheduled and not like, you know, at the, my own, you know, sacrificing my own schedule in my own life in many ways. And um, just because, it, you know, it's like the scarcity mindset, you know, the clients are coming in, I have to take them because like, how lucky am I to be working for myself and, um, and how privileged it is to be able to see these people and be in their lives in this way. And, um, but, you know, you, you can't do that if you, if you want to, you know, build your practice so that you can live sustainably and, um, you know, and, and make, you know, good money that you can afford to live on and have, you know, the lifestyle that you want. Um, so you have to be able to, to make some room for the private pay and you have to be able to set your fees, um, in a way that, uh, you know, that you, you're valuing your worth in what it is that you're, you know, you're doing. Yeah. So you're saying it's, uh, it's really, a matter of clear boundaries with myself, right? And then with insurance panels or clients in terms of my fees, in terms of my time, in terms of how uh, and when do I work as well and what's the limit on that. I I find it so interesting at the beginning, uh, counselors and and coaches, all they can think about is more clients. And then Mm -hmm. clients start coming in and then it's the, uh other side of the same coin it's like oh shit pardon my language i have way too many clients right now what in a way it's a good problem to have right but you pay with burnout uh Mm -hmm. compassion fatigue which is definitely a thing right when you see 12 clients a day uh like something starts happening to your compassion with the that eighth client for example right Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I had a really hard time with that in the beginning when I started taking the insurance clients, but I still do sometimes have a hard time with that. And it's why it's probably why um, I still have, you know, like this week, so about 20, probably up to 22 clients a week, which is a lot when you're running a, you know, practice of the size that I'm running. And, um, and then other things will you know, be in the back burner that really should not be, that it should be having my priority and my attention. So, but I do have to say that I, I love the clinical work. I love working with my clients. And so I always want to, to make room for, um, to have, you know, a pretty good size caseload or at least, you know, into the near future. And I don't want to think about not seeing clients, but at the same time, I have to like always be disciplined to remember the boundary and to, 
to not um, to not take on new people and to really explore who you know for for me it's looking at who else on the team could be a good fit for the client who might um, be asking to see me. So I have to be be disciplined and um, you know be good with that, especially when I'm doing things like trying to build the the practice on you know on the West Coast. So how uh, if you break down uh, today uh, the time that you uh, work with clients, the time that you talk to your team, um, how would you break it down to for any person who's thinking about starting a group practice, right? How would uh, a week in a life look like? It's well, <laughs> it's, it's several long days a week. I kind of tapered down my week. As I was just telling you before we yeah. started recording the call, so so that means that my like Mondays through Wednesdays are longer days, and then um, and then I then I see you know clients on Thursday mornings, and I reserve the afternoon for um, scheduling you know some administrative work, following up with you know the employment attorneys or um, making all the phone calls that I need to make, uh, just spending time in policy and procedure, and you know. I want to say like strategic planning, but I don't carve up time for that. It it it, it um, kind of gets sprinkled in like wherever it fits, <laughs> and you know wherever it kind of comes up in conversation. Um, but that's kind of and then on, by Fridays I I do the same thing um, as Thursday where it's like tapered down, even fewer clients, and then um, leaving the day to try to to do like one to ones and uh, meeting up with other you know therapists for networking. Or other kinds of providers and uh, you know scheduling other meetings so the week is about and i do you know a lot of clinical supervision with some members of my team and with the leadership on the team administrative and clinical supervision um and you know see my clients so it's like 20 to 22 clinical hours and it's about i would say five to six um, supervision hours a week and then the rest is going to be, um, you know, running, running the business. Wonderful. So it sounds like you have a very clear system. Yeah, I, I, I try. I mean, I think it's <laughs> work in progress <laughs> it's, always, right? Is is a constant mm-hmm. in like setting the intention mm-hmm. and always like, you know, trying to do the best I can to kind of forecast the week to know what I can expect for that week to, um, to understand. I've been using this new term that we used from, uh, this um, consultant we've been working with, who's an anti-racist consultant and educator, Dr. Melba Sullivan, um, introducing the term "window of tolerance." Yes. And so I find with myself and being a person who like thrives in chaos. I mean, literally, I have this frenetic energy, and I'm just like, uh-huh. the more the better. Just pile it on. Yeah. Bring, um, bring so on find, that so, crisis mode, so, right? Yeah. So that so I, I tend to like operate that way a little bit. So I've been asking myself, like, um, is this within my window of tolerance? Do I have more? Can I, you know, is, is there more room? Is there more capacity? You know, and I'll tell myself, I think so, or no, no, you can be done for the day <laughs> or um, whatever it is. But I try to be real with myself about what that is. Yeah. So it's really about the honesty with yourself. What, what, mm-hmm. Do you actually enjoy it? Right. Or are you pushing yourself too much? Or do you sometimes do you need, do I need to push myself more? Right. It does require work. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I think, I think you're, you and I probably think a lot alike about our businesses because I see that you do multiple things too. And it's, it's like when, um, when I think 
things get too static, then I'm always like thinking about the next thing I want to do. And, and luckily on, on our team, we have a lot of creative minds and people who, um, who just love to think about therapy in unique ways. And so we're, um, we're really um, having fun with, you know, building out our children and family arm because I, I didn't kind of finish that when I started talking about wanting to do family work, but we kind of like, um, didn't grow that because we just grew a lot more with, you know, the individual, you know, kind of working professionals that came, um, in the door and there's like a, just a, such a big demand uh, for therapy for, um, you know, for that primary demographic that we kind of just like, you know, didn't, didn't continue building and growing children and families, but I want to do that. But is an example of like people on the team wanting to do that, then us saying, go for it, go out there. And we, you know, we bring it in and we try to, you know, provide for those needs. And, um, when those families and those people kind of come in our door, um, we like to, you know, put ourselves out there as far as like, um, paying attention to like what it is that people are asking for us in the community or with, um, with, uh, some of our partners, like we work with modern health and they organize talks for some of the companies that they work with. And, uh, we have people on the team who love to go out there and, you know, give the, the wellness or mental health talks. Um, or we have therapists in the team who like, who like to do webinars and do, um, you know, podcasts, interviews like this. And so, um, it's just fun. It's fun to be a part of a, a group of people who, who can think creatively about therapy and about kind of giving back and making, um, what, what it is and, you know, what we have to offer accessible to more people than the ones who might be just coming in our doors to, to, you know, to pay for the therapy. Sounds like a big part of your success is surrounding yourself with the right people, with proactive people, right, that think outside of the box and, uh, well, make effort to mm -hmm. uh, grow this uh, thing and uh, provide ma more value to more people. Yeah, yep. Uh, one, maybe last question. Um, the most common uh, question I hear from counselors and coaches how do I find more clients? And uh, from having five years of experience, I'm sure you uh, clarified for yourself what works and in terms of, you know, people finding you and actually hiring you as well. It's not just about the being found part. Uh, and what is more a waste of time, right? Like an illusion that I'm doing something. Uh, okay. What's working most for you? Oh, that's a good question because I, I, I do, um, again, it's like, as far as the thing that's on the back burner, I should have more of a priority is like really, um, analyzing, uh, the referrals because we keep track of all of it on a big spreadsheet and, and I, you know, I can see that information and get that data, but then I like rarely go look at it and I don't know why. Um, but, uh, but we do get a lot of referrals from, so I, I would, I should have been prepared to look at that. So I could just tell you the percentages. Yeah. Um, but from the know, top of your I head, think I should, I should, I should do that if it's useful to you, if you want to send it out to your, your listeners, just to get an idea. Oh, but that would be great. It is. Yeah. So it's, um, I think for us, like a lot of psychology today, as far as on, like on people finding us on the internet, psychology today, cause I think they have really good SEO. So I'd definitely say get on, get a psychology today page, even though. Well, I don't want to say anything bad, but let's just, you could do that because it has good SEO. Yeah. You just can't, um, well, I'll say it. You just can't build your private practice just on uh, directed li listings. 
You you can't. Yep. So to psychology today is a good one. We also Zencare is this female um, owned and led company that I really love, and they're not in every market yet, but um, we're with Zencare. Um, they they um, will uh, profile only fully licensed clinicians in the markets that they're in, but um, they're really wonderful. It's a beautiful interface and. I often um, refer people to Zencare if they are in the market of where people are looking for a therapist because um, it's, a, it's a little more vetted and it's, um, it's, a, it's more, t- what, do you, what do you say? It's like more, it's not as static as psychology today that as far as like people's open times and availability um, and your ability to actually get an appointment with that therapist that you reach out to is, I think, I don't know what the numbers are, but more likely. So that's um, so that's one that we where we get some referrals, and uh, then a lot of it is word of mouth, um, referrals from friends and family of existing clients. Um, so that I think the more that you're in practice, and this is an, another way for people just to be mindful of how important patience is, how important it is to have patience, is that um, that over time the people will get to know you and they will send referrals and. Um, and it will take for you to be seeing clients and for those clients to say, I have a great therapist for you. You know, all, all of us in the team, for example, we have um, we have like certain kind of groups of people that we work with who are coworkers or um, friends and they might have the same therapist or their friend is referring to another therapist in the practice. And that um, starts to kind of scale and be nice, nice to, you know, to, to open up that way and see how, how they come in. Um, Another another one is we do Google ads. Not not we don't have a big spend for Google ads, but I do. I um, have a there's a therapist um, in Southern California who helps me. He just loves to to do it. So he kind of runs the ads and t- kind of tells us how we're doing. And we create specific landing pages on the website. Oh, you do. It's not just yeah. It's not just the Google ad with the website because it's more of like the landing pages geared towards a call to action around a specific um, need. So that, that is one thing I do recommend if you are going to do Google ads, don't waste your money. Um, do landing ads for a very specific things that they might search, you know, with the call to, call to action, like help them see what is it that they could get from coming to you and then help them um, kind of click that button, kind of follow through. So, and then there's things that I've tried that haven't worked. So I don't know if I, I want oh, to that, I think, that. Maybe you yeah. can email me and I'll tell you. Uh, well, Should from I... the top of your head, what do you think was a big waste of time for you when you were building your practice? ZocDoc. W- what is that? I'll just say, you know, ZocDoc. Uh-uh. It's, it's great for medical providers. So it's, it's really big in New York, and I booked my doctors that way, but I think it's terrible for mental health. So I don't recommend it for um, clinicians for mental health specifically. Well, actually, if you, if you take insurance, it, it, it might be very useful. But um, for us, being out of network, it's it's not. So it was it was kind of a waste. Got it. What would be your uh, maybe to uh, summarize an important tip from you to uh, future uh, counselors or coaches in private practice or uh, group practice owners? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's something really simple, but important and that's that if you build it they will come I, I had somebody say that to me very early on and it stuck with me and i think i repeated it to myself every day and then i look back and i say she was right <laughs> and she was a, an architect who i rented 
an office from my first office a couple days a week um, in the Woolworth building in downtown Manhattan. And she said, don't worry, you're, you're going to build it and they're going to come. I promise you. And she was an architect and she rented um, her office suite to therapists because she was in therapy and she loved therapy and she loved like sharing her space with therapists. And so it was probably like, you know, good energy that she brought to that. But I do really believe that if you um, you're doing what you love and um, you're, you're passionate about what you have to offer, just be patient with the process to grow and they will start coming. Yeah, I love that. So to connect the two things you said, the patience and the build it and you'll come, continue building it and they will continue coming, right? It, it, mm-hmm, it doesn't mm-hmm. sound like you finished building it five years later, no, right? No, no, you don't just finish and yeah. I mean, some, some people can do that. You just say, I'm happy, I'm just gonna fill my caseload and I'm just gonna be good and this is like a well-oiled machine and just run. But if you're like me and you thrive in the chaos, you're always gonna be doing that, like thinking about the next thing, so that that's what what i like to do that's, and how i like to work <laughs> that's great carrie thank you so much for sharing your journey uh i learned a lot i hope the, the listeners uh learned something as well and just to see the trajectory of where can it start where what can it lead to so uh this has been wonderful thank you so much if people want to find you uh how do they find you your services your uh your practice they can uh, find us at a goodplacetherapy.com. And we're in, I was going to tell you our Instagram, but I actually don't have my phone on me. I can't even tell you the handle. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> One That's of the awesome. things that I don't do myself is, you know, I, we have um, our marketing director who, who does like most of the social media and she's really, really great. But um, it's like a time suck for me. So I don't like to spend a lot of time on it. That's a good um, tip by I itself. Think it's, I, think it's, I think if you look up um, at a good place, therapy i'm sure our practice would pop up so try that but i can't guarantee that that's actually handle that's terrible and then we're on twitter same thing um and and then my email address is carrie k-e-r-r-i-e at a good place therapy.com so if you have any questions about what we're talking about here today um anything that you're kind of curious about just feel free to email me that's very generous carrie thank you so much take care oh thank you sasha it's good to meet you